Ah, so sweet. Every week, just so sweet. I listen always with new ears. Hello, welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we have invited back one of our favorite people, Dr. Jude Kuravan, who is a cosmologist, planetary healer, futurist, author, and previously one of the most senior businesswomen in the UK. She just arrived from New uh, from the UK, in fact, to New York, and is doing a series of events and talks and workshops here. And it's such a pleasure to have her back here on our airwaves. Having grown up as the daughter of a coal miner in the north of England, she has since journeyed to more than 70 countries around the world and for the last nearly 20 years has lived in the sacred landscape of Avebury. She has experienced multidimensional reality since early childhood and worked with the wisdom keepers both incarnate and discarnate of many wisdom traditions. She holds a Ph.D. in archaeology from the University of Reading in the U.K., researching ancient cosmologies, and she has a master's degree in physics from Oxford University specializing in cosmology and quantum physics. Her latest book, The Cosmic Hologram, Information at the Center of Creation, the first book of the Transformation Trilogy. She is currently writing to others, Gaia, Her Story. So we are in for a very deep, interesting conversation with Jude, picking up on what we were covering last time. We'll do a little bit of an overview and maybe even a bit of an underview. We'll see how it goes. And coming to understand what Jude is bringing to us all is helping to uh, crack the cosmic egg, you could say, and giving us an opportunity to kind of peer into the inner workings of well, nothing short of reality. And if we are, in fact, going to change this world and help it evolve by evolving ourselves, that is, well, this information is actually seminal. So even if it may seem at moments a touch heady, let me tell you, it's all about grounding it and bringing it into our true material reality. And that's one of the gifts that Jude brings us, is her ability to integrate all worlds into one. So, Jude, wonderful to see you again. Mitchell, it's absolutely wonderful to be back. I can't believe it's a year. And secondly, I love your idea of an underview. So it's an overview. <laughs> And I talk about the whole world view, so exactly. between us we'll figure this out, hopefully. It's kind of interesting, yeah. isn't it? You know, We talk about overlords and seeing from above, but how about from below? Totally right. Think about the bacteria, for instance. I love bacteria. Don't you just love them? Don't you just love the thought, Jude, that our human bodies contain, oh, I don't know, uh, a trillion or so human cells, if that, um, and uh, about three-quarters times that of bacteria. And we are more bacteria than we are human. We are. When we add fungi and viruses as well, you know, we are a community. We literally are a community. Exactly, exactly. My dear friend, in fact, our dear friend, Bruce Lipton, cellular biologist, is reminding me and all of us of that all the time, that that is really what we consist of. So there is a consciousness 
of the whole. It's interesting. It's not just a human consciousness then. There is a level on which, from the point of view of the underworld, uh, the underview, that we actually have some consciousness of bacteria, even though we consider ourselves thinking humans. Well, I think we Could need you to comment on that. Oh, very much so. I mean, I'd actually even a bigger picture than that. I mean, the latest scientific evidence that I write about in the Cosmic Hologram and across all scales of existence and many fields of research is showing that what we call consciousness, which we can debate, but certainly mind, is um, is is real? Is reality? Is literally reality? Our universe isn't a great thing. More and more, the evidence is showing it's a great thought, which of course ancient spiritual traditions have said, which is what many pioneering scientists, such as Max Planck, have have realised, and and Einstein have realised. So more and more, the evidence is coming forward that we need to completely transform our understanding of the nature of reality, so that instead of a sort of materialistic and separate universe, we realize that what we call physical reality in our universe is essentially unified and is essentially thought, cosmic mind, thinking, and and co-creating this amazing universe, which we are microcosmic co-creators of its evolving intelligence. Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Einstein because I was thinking about him while awaiting your arrival. And, uh, As you do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Great mind. And what I was thinking in particular, Jude, is that Einstein's interpretation of reality was really so much defined in terms of energy and the flow of energy. And it's, of course, interfaced with matter, mass. But I would like to hear that that's my interpretation of his sure. interpretation, and that's what I think is fairly widely you know, mm -hmm. understood. Mm -hmm. But what you're speaking about is something actually distinct from that. And I would like to hear you comment mm -hmm. on that, because as I understand, you are saying that the fundamental substratum of reality is actually information and we can take that word as a whole information as we think about and information as a bunch of let's say digits whether mm -hmm. it's analog or digital there's a, you know it's there's a an idea we have a thingness if you will about information and then there is a more a subtler understanding which occurs when you break the word itself down mm -hmm. in form at ion, perhaps. I don't know. That's certainly one interpretation of the word itself. You know, a wordsmith could have that amount of fun. You know, but I would like to hear what you have to say about just the point counterpoint about the idea of Einstein as energy dynamics and Jude as uh, information dynamics. Thanks for that, Mitchell. I mean, firstly, I would say that it isn't distinctive. And Einstein has been my inspiration, have, as have many of the pioneering scientists. What Einstein basically, and others, it wasn't just Einstein, it was Max Planck, it was many of the others over 100 years or so ago, um, actually transformed our understanding at that point of reality or physical reality. Because up till then, a sort of Newtonian mechanistic perspective had, had, had held sway for quite some time. Sure. But like most things, if a theory doesn't hold up to the evidence, then the theory has to go. 
So what was being discovered at the end of the 19th century... The structure of scientific revolution. That's right. But what was being discovered at the end of the 19th century were experiments that didn't fit that old paradigm of Newtonian physics. And we had geniuses such as Albert Einstein come along and, and tell us, first of all, that energy and matter are essentially equivalent, equals mc squared, the most famous equation in the whole world, <laughs> but also that of themselves, um, time and space are relative to an observer and therefore have to come together as space-time to be invariant. And that's crucial because without space-time being invariant, our universe couldn't exist and evolve. The laws of physics couldn't be universal across all time and all space. So at the beginning of the 20th century, this amazing scientific revolution came along. Quantum physics. And, and relativity. It was both. And relativity, yes. Because quantum physics is all about energy and matter, but it has no idea of time. Yeah? Relativity theory is all about space and time, but isn't really concerned with how energy and matter relate. Yeah. So for the last almost a century, although they, they have been the pillars of 20th century science, they are, appear to be incompatible with each other. And so that's why so many scientists over decades have tried to find a way of quantizing space-time and finding some way of, of, of plugging quantum physics into space-time. And up till now, they haven't been able to do so. And the reason they haven't been able to do so, which is why I'm saying that what I'm saying is not distinct, but just as relativity and quantum theory expanded on the Newtonian model, we still use Newtonian physics for so many everyday requirements because, you know, to, to a good approximation, it reflects what the physical world's about. But well, just enough. because Einsteinian physics is true, E equals MC squared, doesn't negate Newtonian. Exactly. It's, I put it as it's a subset. That, well, it's not a subset. It's an expansion. So if you think of Newtonian physics being expanded by quantum physics and relativity. Oh, okay. Yeah? So it's just as, you know, we come along and we get greater insights so we can expand it. We're not throwing away that core, we're expanding it. Well, so I'm doing with, you know, what I'm saying in the cosmic hologram, but it's not just what I'm saying. You know, I took a deep dive into, you know, hundreds and hundreds of scientific experiments across all scales of existence and many, many, many different fields of, of research to bring the evidence forward, not the, 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 the sort of the ideas as such, although they're there, mm -hmm. but they have to be evidenced because otherwise they're not going to land. You know, it's a lovely idea, but unless you've got the evidence, and that's the, the key, that's that the is. proof of the pudding, as my mum used to say. So what the latest evidence is showing is that information, as you say, the same digitized information that forms the basis of all our technologies, over the last few years, experiments have shown that when we store or delete one bit of information, one digital bit of information, Physical work, physical heat is associated with that. And it's nothing mm. to do with the equipment. It's nothing to do with friction in cables or anything. It's that pure information. So a number of experiments over the last few years... Information itself then, as I understand yes. what you're saying, Jude, is somewhat combustible. 
It's more than that. It's actually that information can express itself as what we call energy and matter. And it also expresses itself in complementary way and ways as time and space. So the, 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 the leading edge perspective is that all we call physical reality, the appearance of physical reality, actually emerges from deeper non-physical realms of intention, of, of, of meaning, of purpose, all of which, of course, are conscious, mental, information so essentially einstein used to say cosmic mind so what this is now taking his work a big step forward to show how cosmic mind co-creates what we call reality so interesting okay so i'm trying to wrap my mind around if cosmic mind through information expresses itself through time, space, energy, and matter, correct? Yeah. Then there is both heat, as you said, from information itself, but also then pressure? Yeah, all the physical attributes that we talk about, you know, which are really relating primarily to energy and matter, yes. are as a result of the way in which information does express itself as energy matter and the way in which our entire universe from the very beginning was co-created essentially as a thought form, a great thought form in the mind of the cosmos with, with, with laws of relationship that give rise to the appearance of the physical world, which, of course, ancient wisdom has told us sure. for millennia. Maya. Well, but the danger of Maya is Maya is often um, translated as illusion, and another translation is partial. In other words, we see yes. this sort of partial yes. appearance of deeper greater, you know, talk about the underview. Exactly. <laughs> the underview is, is the sort of the impulse of cosmic mind co-creating these, these great thought forms that we call universes. So partial versus impartial. Well, no, partial versus illusion. Because often, you know, people who, who study ancient wisdom and come across ancient Indian wisdom come across this word Maya. Of course. And, and translate it as illusion, as if reality was illusory. It's not it's real. But it is only a partial perspective. The physical world is only a partial perspective of the wholeness Absolutely. of reality. Absolutely. No, I, I, I get that, of course. Of course, yes. Um, when I said impartial, that to be partial is to be looking down one rabbit hole. Lovely. Sort of one silo. Yeah. Distinct from, counter-distinct from, sure. impartial, yeah. which is essentially embracing the whole. I love it. Absolutely. That's what I meant. Exactly. All right, good. Perfect. No, I'm kind of just checking this out with you. I'm not imposing. I'm reposing. <laughs> so, good. Thank you. Thank you. So, then, Jude, what would you say information consists of? I mean, you referenced digital, you know, information. That's one way that we can kind of cognize it in our 21st century world. But how would you frame that as something that the ancient wisdom keepers knew? Well, I'm not sure they did know that. I think what they intuited as an amazingly profound realization was that the appearance of the physical world was not its true nature, was not its fundamental oh. nature. 
And so they were they were essentially walking between worlds and perceiving the wholeness. What they didn't have, and I don't think we've had at all until really now, is this um, ability to say how does consciousness co-create what we call physical reality. And by understanding, and if you think about our understanding of information, you know, that is very much something that is relatively recent. It's only been since um, computers. I mean, we, we've talked about information before, but over the last few years, there's been a whole scientific discipline of information, uh, informational understanding, um, quantum information, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. that's coming to the fore. But what we're realizing is that we can describe any object in our physical universe in terms of digitized information, yeah? We can um, throw a beam of light on, on an object, gather the information from that, project that on a two-dimensional film, put another beam of light through it, and project a hologram, a three-dimensional appearance, taking all of that information that we've gathered from the real object to create the appearance of a 3D hologram. You know, our virtual reality technologists... I'm getting it. Yeah. What I'm saying is that our virtual realities and our holograms are kids' toys for which reality is the masterclass. Because what we're realizing when we put all this together, that all that we call physical reality is essentially a holographic projection from the boundary if you like, the, the membrane of our universe, going back to Bruce's perspective, but that when we look at our best VR technology, the pixelation of that, which holds one bit of information for every tiny area. Every pixel a bit. Every pixel holds a bit. Our universe, the pixelation scale of our universe, we talk about high-definition holograms and VRs, the pixelation scale of our universe, which is held on the boundary of space, is a trillion, trillion times tinier than the most high-definition virtual realities or holograms we have. And that pixelation scale is as tiny compared to an atom as an atom is to the entire universe. I see your jaw dropping. (laughs) That is mind-boggling. But this is where the evidence is leading. Yes. This is absolutely... So is there actually a mathematical calculation Mm -hmm. that gives us that minute reality? Yes. When we put the laws of physics together, a natural scale just drops out. And it will be a natural scale that doesn't depend on us measuring in feet and inches or, or, or seconds or, you know, a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago would, would the same sort of natural scale would drop out. It's named after Max Planck, P-L-A-N-C-K, one of my heroes, sure. who also perceives our universe as a great thought form and consciousness as primary. But in terms of length, it's 10 to the minus 35 meters in terms of a time scale it's 10 to the minus 44 seconds if you think about it what that says is that every second that passes from the beginning of space time 13.8 billion years ago every second that passes it's like frames in a film yeah 10 to the 44 frames in a second because what time is 
is the actual ongoing accumulation of information within space-time. This is what enables our universe to evolve. Okay, now we're coming around. Now we're getting to the gist of it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just pause for one moment and bring back a little Beethoven while we go into a theta state and absorb what you've been saying. There's another Ludwig we need to bring into this in a minute. (laughs) Fine. Anyway, it is a pleasure, Jude Kurva, to have you back on A Better World and seated here in my studio to discuss these things that have actual tremendous relevance. And it should also be said that Jude's book, The Cosmic Hologram, just became a bestseller on the New York Times Oh, I'm not. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Amazon. Bigger, bigger the Amazon owns the New York Times Could anyway. Right? I, 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 no, no, I did probably. I the Washington Post. But, um, but oh, so the on Amazon, yeah. fantastic. That's Thank great you. news. Mazel tov, as we say in Thank the ancient you. language. Absolutely, that's great. And I mean, it's so fascinating. And I know I've read some of these numbers in that book, but my head was spinning. So it was, I was becoming decoherent as I was reading. (laughs) Um, That's another way of saying incoherent. Uh, You know, and yet building further information Mm. in my space, if you will. So congratulations, truly so well-deserved that you. that is happening. And I know you were recently on uh, Deepak Chopra's live stream, yeah. and you've been making the great tour around New York and just sharing your wealth of wisdom and information with so many people. And I just thank you for your good work. Thanks, Mitchell. And I think you said it right up front. It, this isn't just a scientific revolution. This, is, this is, has the potential as a game changer in the way we view reality itself. And, you know, for me as a healer, we've had a sort of collective dis-ease of our fragmented perspective. You know, mm-hmm. we've seen the world as separate. And oh, my God. Science has said, you know. It's something I bemoan, oh, Jude, all uh, the time for <laughs> decades. Yep. <laughs> Any holistic thinker mm. will be in that compromised position in dealing with sure. eye, ear, nose, and throat specialists as opposed to a let's call it a general practitioner who actually sees the body as a whole in in context of the landscape, if you will. Exactly. And, and you know, what we've got now is, as I say, the evidence across all scales of existence, all many fields of research, and the evidence is piling up. Even since the book was out about a year ago, more and more evidence is coming up to support its premise. So give an example of that kind of 
Okay. Development. Well, the book's called The Cosmic Hologram for a reason. Yes. In the, you know, we're, we're, as I mentioned before the, the break, you know, we're, we're seeing that what we call physical reality is essentially a holographic projection of cosmic mind, and we are its microcosmic co-creators of a universe that exists and evolves as a great thought from simplicity to complexity and ever greater levels of, of self-awareness. So... In that sense, you know, when we understand that, it, it can change everything because if we come from a scientific or, a, you know, social, because it's social, it impacts every aspect of our lives, how, how politics to media to education to health, as you say. Our relationship to Earth and to, the environment. Totally relationship to, to Gaia, to our beloved Gaia and environment. Because if science is saying everything's separate, everything's meaningless, um, consciousness just comes off the random back of... Random bits. Random bits, and consciousness just falls off the back of accidental you know, processes yeah. of evolution. Yeah, this turns it completely on its head, and the evidence is there. So, for example, since the book's been out, um, cosmologists have looked at what's called the cosmic microwave background, which you, some of our, our listeners may have heard of. And this is like the relic... This is the energetic relic from the mm -hmm. beginning of our universe, which I say isn't a big bang. It wasn't big. It wasn't a bang. It's a big breath. But what they've actually identified is the same geometric patterns of the cosmic hologram in that cosmic microwave background. Another thing that's been discovered and, ex yeah, and experimentally proven is that um, there's something called Bell's Theorem, which says that for quantum physics to work at all, our universe has to exist and evolve as a unified entity. It's called non-locality. Mm -hmm. That's now been experimentally proven by non-locally connecting starlight from stars 600 light years away and photons in the lab. And therefore, that's been experimentally oh. proved that far out. Um, Mind-boggling. It is. And Stephen Hawking, you may have heard of Stephen Hawking. Well, of course. Yeah. You were an intern of his. I Well, actually, his mentor and my mentor were the same person. Oh, okay. It was Dennis Sharma. But yes, yes. Stephen recently passed over, but Surely. posthumously. In fact, I wanted to ask you about that, because you knew him. I, well, very, very remotely, but the wonderful it's almost like a final gift he's giving but to But it's non-local, so you were connected. We were, and, <laughs> are, and of course still are. Some starlight there and some starlight <laughs> here. What are you talking about? Absolutely. We have proof. We have evidence. Absolutely. <laughs> Please but go on. bless him, he's published, it's been published posthumously, an article, oh. a paper by him and a Belgian cosmologist called Thomas Hertig, saying in their view the universe, our universe, is finite and closed, oh. and that's exactly what I'm saying in the book. Yes. So again, these pieces. So you are didn't coming. gather that. I, I'm, mm. That's a place we were evolving in this mm. discussion, by the way. <laughs> uh, and so you came upon that discovery mm. through your own mm. mentation, not from something that Hawking said. It wasn't something that Stephen said, and it wasn't through my own meditation, although it was. It was the evidence. Cosmological evidence. Led you to that. Yeah. I, I followed the evidence. The, the whole of the cosmic hologram is about following the evidence and not sort of making presuppositions or not ignoring the evidence, but actually following it wherever it leads. And it led, and it is leading to that perspective. And the latest experiments, the latest discoveries 
are all leading in that direction, which is why he was willing to put his name to this paper. So um, interesting. Well, you know, so this is one of the things. So I wanted to bring up the first point, which I did about Einstein mm. and energy mm. and you and information. And the un another one is about the universe as infinite, uh, as an open system, versus what you're saying. It's not infinite. It's actually finite. It's a closed system. And so it's so interesting because when you say that, and how if the laws of physics are going to apply and really be laws, it must actually be for a closed system. Exactly. And why did that penny not drop in our minds prior to Jude Curvan? And others. Many <laughs> others. And many others. And all. <laughs> and emerging. I think but you know, it's kind of yeah. interesting. It's sort of like when something becomes mm. known, mm. there's an aspect of a Jude where it's, well, of course. Of course. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Eureka. We do that. Exactly. Because yeah. I bet part of our mm. brain mm. inside of our several mm. actually did know that. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I always quote Marcel Proust, who said, the journey of discovery isn't discovering new lands, it's seeing with new eyes. And, you know, there was, evi so. you know, there was evidence before the quantum revolution, but people were so not, you know, ready to see it. Um, Einstein followed a beam of light. And, and from that intuitive insight, realized the relativity of space and time of themselves, but needing to put together an invariant space-time, otherwise our universe couldn't exist and evolve. Where Einstein followed a beam of light, I followed a thought. I followed a thought, and it brought me to information, as you said, with a hyphen in it. So it's not random data. It's informed relational dynamic patterns that are pre-physicalized, but the physical world emerges from this deeper level of consciousness and awareness. And our universe is a great thought. And there are many, many, many probable other universes because as far as we have any sense, the cosmos itself is infinite and eternal. But just like we have thoughts within our existence and evolution, what the leading edge evidence, scientific evidence, which of course is reconciling with universal spiritual traditions and wisdom teachings, is that this is an outbreath of Brahman. This is an outbreath, an outthought, a, a progressive evolutionary. According thought to ancient Hindu mythology. Yes. yes. Yeah, is it Indra's outbreath? Well, it's Indra's net, and net. Indra's net is the most beautiful poetic description of the cosmic yes. hologram. You yeah. know. So this is interesting. You were saying that we sort of knew what we're saying about a quantum universe mm. way back. Mm. But perhaps what we didn't have is the mathematical language to articulate it. We have poetic language. Sure. We have imagistic, symbolic language. Mm. We have storytelling, sure. all of which is utterly, actually, precise mm. in many ways. But there is a lack of precision that we do have in the language of mathematics. I, I agree with you. The thing is that what I'm bringing forward doesn't require any new laws of physics. It doesn't require any more mathematics. All it is is seeing with new eyes. So instead of seeing that energy and oh, matter yes. are fundamental and space-time are fundamental, it's taking it another level. So it isn't distinct. It isn't saying that's not valid. It's saying we need to take it a step further to actually describe 
physical reality as information expressed as energy matter and in a complementary way expressed as space-time. And that's why I mentioned the other Ludwig, which is Ludwig Boltzmann, who in the mid-19th century came up with the two laws of thermodynamics, which are very foundational. And what I've been able to do in the cosmic hologram is to track those two laws of thermodynamics to two laws of information or infodynamics. But along the way, they are the most beautiful, simple descriptions of energy matter, and so quantum mechanics, and space and time, and so relativity. But what they also show at that end point is literally how our universe can exist and evolve as a conscious, unified entity in the mind of the cosmos. Wow. That's so interesting. Let's let everybody know that you are listening to Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World Radio. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. and various other times spread throughout our quantum universe and our week. And uh, we are also on television every Monday evening here in New York City uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, of course. And you can get to both of these at www.abetterworld.tv, where you can also sign up for our weekly free newsletter. So I really love that you are all part of A Better World, and we are thrilled to have people listening from all over the world, from the UK and Australia and New Zealand to South Africa and Mexico and everywhere, of course, United States and Canada. And it's a real pleasure for us to be able to reach out and reach you everywhere and we so appreciate that you tune into our shows and uh, share them also with your colleagues and your friends. Today we are speaking again with cosmologist and author Jude Kuravan, the author of The Cosmic Hologram, which just became a number one bestseller on Amazon, and that's a big deal these days because there are so many books out there, there's so much information, and yet her information has risen to the top. So again, congratulations on that, Jude. It's a, it's a real distinction, uh, and uh, we all appreciate your good work. I want to go to this idea. It sounds um, maybe a little basic, but... <laughs> it has to do with the way my mind is organized. For the longest time, when the shift occurred from a Newtonian perspective to a quantum, or to an Einsteinian, and then let's say a quantum, always had the idea that the quantum interpretation of reality in the universe was sort of the largest through which one sort of the large umbrella under which, if you will, as an underview, was the Einsteinian, and then within that, you could say, almost like Russian nested dolls. So it's fractal. So whatever's happening inside the Newtonian is, of course, happening in the quantum, and but it's just a different, perhaps a more limited understanding of reality. But you're shaking your head no. So... <laughs> Dites-moi. <laughs> dites-moi. Um, I think that's the, the issue. Oh, okay. Is that <laughs> quantum physics is all about energy and matter, okay? Relativity is all about space and time. The difficulty has been trying to reconcile the two and trying to, in fact, to force 
quantum physics onto relativity and trying to fit somehow relativity into quantum physics. And that's been apparently incompatible for over 80 years, despite all the work that's gone on. Mm -hmm. And there's been steps towards it, but the reason in my perspective... Toward a complementary integration. Yes, yes. And the reason that it's not been able to be integrated, which I think now we're beginning to more and more understand why it's not been, is we need to go to a more foundational level. And that foundational level is that information expresses itself as energy matter in a quantized way and and in a complementary way, but non-quantized as space and time. And that's why I mentioned Ludwig Boltzmann, because Ludwig Boltzmann, 150 or more years ago, was studying the behavior of gases, and he came up with these two laws of thermodynamics. Now, you might ask, given that Einstein always said the universe is as simple as can be but no simpler. Why do we need two laws of thermodynamics? Well, it's becoming now clear why. (laughs) Because what I've done in the book and what the evidence is showing, and I've thrown all the evidence at this to sort of do the track, Mm -hmm. is that if we take the first law of thermodynamics, which all of us were taught at, at school, that the energy of a closed system is conserved. In other words, it doesn't increase. Or de- yeah, it doesn't increase or decrease. Or decrease. It just changes it? its form. By understanding now that our universe is a closed system, and understanding that energy and matter are equivalent, we can expand the first law to that the energy matter of our universe is always conserved. But now we've got the experimental evidence that information can express itself as energy matter. The the, the first law can be expressed as a first law of information, that the information, information expressed as the energy matter of our universe is always conserved. Now that, from the beginning to the end of its life cycle, allows our universe to exist, but it says nothing about evolution. It says nothing about time. It says nothing about complexity. Mm -hmm. That's where we need the second law. Because the second law um, of thermodynamics says that the entropy, and I'll explain what I mean by entropy in a second, the entropy of a closed system always increases through time. Now, in Boltzmann's day, it was he described entropy as a number of microstates of a system. That's If you have a pack of cards, for example, you could say that each card is a microstate of the pack. Okay, And if you take the pack unused out of its polysine, it's in a very ordered state. It Actually, it's in its simplest state. If you then throw all the cards up in the air, they'll land all over the place. It becomes disordered, but more importantly, the number of microstates. The cards themselves don't increase in number, but the way they relate do. So if you say the microstates are not just the number of cards, but how they relate relate to each other. So it's relational. It's relational. And what you can say is the informational content of that pack of cards has increased. increased. And therefore, the entropy of that pack of cards has increased. Mm -hmm. Now, if we take that second law, sorry, that second law of thermodynamics, the, in, the entropy, the number of microstates of a closed system always increases through time. Our universe is a closed system. We now relate space and time together. And now we understand also that 
entropy can be better stated as the informational content of a system, we get a second law of information that says that the informational content or entropy of our universe always increases through space-time. So 13.8 billion years ago, our universe began in its lowest state of informational entropy or content, like a newborn baby. Right. And the informational content... Like an amoeba. Yeah. And the informational content of our universe has increased every moment since then. That not only is a very, very general statement of relativity in Mm -hmm. space-time, but it's also um, understanding that it allows our universe to evolve from simplicity to complexity. complexity. And that's why we need two laws. That's why we can now restate them as laws of information. And that's why along the way we get a statement of quantum physics, a statement of relativity physics, and we can show that they're complementary to each other. We can't push them together. They're just like two aspects of the way that reality co-creates itself. Well put. Got it. It's sinking in to my informational reality. My job is done. My work is done. Not quite. Done. Done. What is the opposite of entropy? It's not. This is really important because over the way. I just realized in my mind, Mm -hmm. even though I remember somewhat uh, the meaning, I think I was also confusing it very basically with the idea of inertia. Yeah, and it's not. Not at all. No. I mean, the, Entropy the, would be the collapse or the disintegration of systems? No, let's, let's go back a step to this. Um, because, as I say, Ludwig Boltzmann described entropy because he didn't know about information. He was a pioneer of his time. Yes. But he described entropy in terms of the microstates. The microstates, of right. And the increase of information... Of, is the increase of exactly, yeah. but the prob- he was describing it without the word. Of he was information. He was, but the danger and the problem has been in between his time and now. People have tended to reinterpret what he was talking about in terms of order and disorder. Yeah, because order is the lowest number of microstates you could argue, mm-hmm. and disorder actually is more microstates. But when you think of order, disorder, it gives a whole different perspective that you're almost putting a value judgment on it. And from that perspective, we've also had this idea of something called syntropy, which is which is sort of order That's what I was and yeah for. and so-called negentropy which is disorder so we've had a complete misunderstanding for quite a long time of what this all means okay. so let's go back to basics so i'm forgiving myself right now oh god forgive <laughs> oh please let's forgive ourselves let's do that but what we have now is all the pieces of the puzzle to be able to put it together and what we can now say is that entropy is about the informational content of a system, which always increases. So entropy increases from the from its lowest level of informational content, ever more content. So it's really content rich. Yeah. So it's really mm-hmm. from simplicity to complexity. Now, when we have this idea of syntropy as being somehow this beautiful order, we, for example, we talk about the human body. 
when we come into, when we incarnate as a baby, we have this amazing biological template of coherence and relationship. And as we go through life, we're part of that universal flow of time, that ever-increasing informational content that's our entire universe, but also applies to our own lives. We're always getting more experience, more learning, more growing as we evolve and as our entire universe evolves. But when we die, when we pass over, our body disintegrates, but that's not about negentropy. It's just that the coherence of our biological template then decoheres, mm-hmm. yes? But our consciousness continues a higher level of dimensionality. And it continues to informationally evolve. Yes. It's just that that informational level goes beyond the limitations of our three-dimensional space, four-dimensional space-time. Exactly. Yeah? Exactly. So once we understand this, we can get rid of this idea of syntropy and negentropy. We can move into sort of this idea of coherence and then a decoherence, but all the way, all through, the informational content increases because when our bodies go back into the ground, when we're composted, our bodies are composted. Mm-hmm. Think of all you were to, This takes us full circle right to the beginning about bacteria. Yes. Of course, we're in relationship. Our body, our physical bodies, all the bacteria, all the fungi, all the you know beautiful aspects of ourselves, then relates again with the soil of our good earth, mm-hmm. with the soil of our beloved mother earth. Mm-hmm. Sure. So they have, in a sense, different trips. Different aspects of information have different trajectories. Exactly, but the informational content continues to, to grow, increase. Increase, yes. yes. No, I get that. But, so, you know, the mind is always seeking to generalize. So as I'm listening to you, and granted there are always subjective uh, connotations to certain words and languages you were mm. uh, referencing earlier, Jude, on one hand we have Order and another word for disorder is chaos. And, you know, it's in certain circles, psychological and otherwise, that chaos, of course, is not a bad thing. It's a momentary part of a cycle Mm -hmm. through which we pass, Mm -hmm. both personally, individually, Mm -hmm. as well as families, as well Mm -hmm. as any collectivity Mm -hmm. in general, any life form. And so... That is, you could say, a momentary disorganization and incoherence only to reestablish itself at a higher level of complexity and information. Exactly. And all through that chaotic process, information content is still increasing. increasing. So that means that when we feel confused, I'm trying to really bring Mm, it down into uh, daily living for people. So when we get confused, you could say, uh, and it felt uncertain, those are actually just precipitous moments toward a greater information evolutionary trek. They certainly can be. I mean, one of the things some years ago, when, when these sort of phenomena of, of, of coherence and decoherence, um, of, of chaos and what came from that, were being studied, it was realized that actually chaos wasn't the bigger picture, that actually the bigger picture was complexity. So what you get in this sort of journey from complexity, yes, but the point is that from simplicity to complexity, there are progressive 
sort of breakthroughs into high-level coherence and sure. breakdowns into temporary chaos yes. before there's a breakthrough to a Again, higher level of coherent yes. complexity. Would you say that that journey is actually endless? And can it be endless in a closed system? universe no because if our universe is finite then a point comes where our universe has come and we you know the the physics of this suggesting more and more that this could be in tens of billions of years comes to an end but i i sort of envisage our universe as as you know this outbreath of a brahma like a bubble a gorgeous cosmic bubble that expands and 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 comes to a point at the end of its life cycle where you know when you see a bubble burst in air, there's this beautiful rainbow dissipation of all the information that in a bubble sort of goes into the air, but perhaps yes. in our universe goes into the, you know, the continuing mind of the cosmos. It's not lost. It's not lost, but it remains finite. Our universe is a finite thought form, but that you know, the numerous, perhaps not just millions, but if our universe. Hey, sorry, if, our, if the cosmos itself is infinite and eternal, then essentially over that infinity and eternity, there will be infinite universes. Oh, this is a very important distinction here. Indeed. Between a finite universe... Our finite universe. Our finite 3D plus universe. Exactly. And universes. And universes within the infinite and eternal cosmos. Okay, okay. So the cosmos itself, from this view, continues to be infinite, within which are finite universes. Yes, there's finite thought forms within that infinite and eternal cosmic mind, as Einstein called it. Okay. No, this is a very important distinction because people could walk away thinking that, uh, you know, the word cosmos, which actually comes from the ancient Greek meaning world, exactly, is so we get microcosmos or macrocosmos. Yeah, but it means world. So, universe, of course, is, means one turning. Yes. <laughs> literally, yes. again, that yes. being Latin. So, what we have is universes inside of the larger cosmos. Yes. I keep going back to these subsets. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I keep following the evidence because, you know, as I say, well, sure. what the evidence is really now coming to, and it comes from logic, it comes from all sorts of different, you know, areas, but it's converging that our so, universe is a finite and closed system, but within a much, much, much vaster cosmos. You know, there is a uh, psychoanalyst, doctor, surgeon, pianist, and uh, Zen teacher named Dr. Hubert Benoit, who lived in Paris many years ago. And I had the great distinction of meeting him. He's written a handful of books, including one called The Supreme Doctrine. And uh, he actually was a contemporary of Gurdjieff and uh, outlived him by decade, probably much younger. And in that book on Zen, Jude, he posited that reality was sort of like operating like a movie projector Mm. that was slowed down so that you could see each frame. 
and what you're referring to as the hologram mm-hmm. that what we have as a time space mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. is essentially um the emergence mm-hmm. of information into you could say the fabric of a time space Absolutely. World I mean, I, is yes. actually analogous yes. to what Hubert Benoit yes. was saying in yes. the Supreme Doctrine back in the 1950s. Absolutely. I mean, the only difference using between then the, as the method through under to understand this notion. Absolutely. The difference is that we now have the scientific evidence across uh-huh. all scales of existence and yes. many fields of research, and we now have the mechanism of information expressing itself as energy matter and in a complementary way of space-time. So by restating the laws of physics as algorithms of information enabling our universe to exist and evolve, we've actually come to a how-to make a perfect universe. (laughs) Yes, right, right. That'll be your next book. No, it's the first part of this one. I was going to call it How to Make a Perfect Universe. And my publisher quite rightly said, that sounds like How to Make a Chocolate Cake. And I said, that's exactly right. (laughs) That's beautiful because that's the next, in our final minutes here, I wanted to ask you, how do you take this awesome data set and apply it to uh, everyday reality? How do you see that fit? Well, that's been my work over the last year, to be honest, ever since we were here last time and and the book got published at the UN and then we published the the book at the House of Lords in London. Yes. And it was basically as as a message, as a seed point, to really offer a way of transforming our perspective of the nature of reality. So instead of the mainstream scientific view of, you know, separation and meaninglessness and mm-hmm. consciousness just drops off the end of evolution. Randomness. Yeah, randomness to really completely turn it on its head. Yeah, turn it on its head. And so our beliefs drive our behaviors. So our dysfunctional behaviors derive from our fragmented beliefs about the nature of reality. So the whole message is about healing our fragmented perspective as reality mm, because otherwise that collective beautiful. dis-ease drives our dysfunctional behaviors. So as a healer, I know if we only try and deal with the symptoms of a disease, they'll find other ways of coming through. Sure. But if we can go back to the cause of the dis-ease and heal from there, we can begin a healing journey. And since it's our dysfunctional behaviors, that have got us to this point of unsustainability in the way we are with each other and our beloved Mother Earth, if we can heal our collective dis-ease into a whole world view, hopefully that will help guide healing our behaviors. That is beautiful and is a perfect resonance <laughs> with the completion of this section of our show. <laughs> Thank you, Jude. That is just beautiful right on point uh, your website so people can come visit we've got two now I've got a personal one which is www.judecurravan.com and when we started I say we it's not me I mean it's, I'm not using the royal we just because I'm the British royal we. the royal we because I'm British <laughs> it's that uh, so many folks who are coming from this understanding of unity in diversity yes. because this is not about homogeneity this is radical diversity yes. but coming from unity um, yes. I have a, a, a website called 
whole, W-H-O-L-E, world, W-O-R-L-D, dash hyphen, uh, view, V-I-E-W, dot org. Beautiful. I so appreciate your good work. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank and you. I yours. I yours. I appreciate it. Thank you. Jude Curavan speaking with us about her book, The Cosmic Hologram, Information at the Center of Creation. And uh, with a forward, by the way, of a former guest of ours here, Irvin Laszlo, another brilliant systems thinker. So with that, I want to just thank you all for joining today. Make sure to uh, email me at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your experiences, share this around, and visit us at our websites, www.abetterworld.tv. And then for the counseling and consulting work I do, mitchellrabin.com. Thanks again for joining, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank you.